work better. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, if you'll turn over there. Here's what we want to do over the next about 35, 40 minutes. Um, I want to read the first chapter up through the first three verses of chapter 2. It's a section that kind of goes together. want to back up a little bit, talk a little bit about the background of Hebrews, uh, uh, just because sometimes it's helpful to, to understand a little bit of where it came from and what it's about. And then we're going to look at the first verse and a half, which is, just declares to us the most helpful thing that God has ever done. And something that is so necessary in the world in which we live in today. And through it all, we want to be responding to the Lord. So, let's read together. I'll read. You can follow along. And why don't you stand with me, please, just as a reminder that what we're about to read is different than what we've heard all week long on the radio and what we've read in the newspaper or other places or even my comments about this passage. Uh, This is the word of the living God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the exact radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord... In the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, And every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let's pray together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've spoken. 
Thank you that even as the rain comes down from the heavens and waters the plants, your word comes to us to give us seed to sow into people's lives this coming week and bread for us to eat this morning. And so, Lord, give us hungry hearts that will listen and hear and respond. All for your name's sake, and it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So a little bit on the background of the book of Hebrews. Um, often when you come to a book of the Bible, you want to ask a couple of things. Uh, you want to say, so who did God use to bring this to us, as well as who was it intended for? Now we recognize, and Scripture makes it clear, that all of God's Word is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. God is the author behind it, and He has worked in men's life, and He has worked through them to bring us the Scriptures. And boy, the book of Hebrews, just in what I just read, makes it very clear that God is the one who has given the Scriptures in the Old Testament. I don't know if you picked up, I tried to emphasize it, how often in those quotations, beginning in verse 5 down through verse 13, how often it doesn't say, well, Samuel said this, or Nathan the prophet said this, or David the psalmist said this. What, what's the continual repetition? Verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say? And then he quotes something from the Old Testament. And again, and he quotes something from the Old Testament, verse 6, he says, and he quotes something from Psalms. Verse 7, he says. Verse 8, he says. Verse 13, he says. What's the point of that? The point of that is, is that God used people to bring the Old Testament Scriptures into existence, but who was the one speaking behind them? God was. God was. And so it's one of the greatest authentications that God is the one who speaks and spoke through men and women and put the Scriptures together for us. In fact, if you go over to chapter 2, uh, verse 12, if you read 11 and then jump into 12, you'll see that Christ is the one who is saying. And if you look at verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says... And so, when you read the Scriptures, you are reading what God says, and we can be assured of that. And this one of the great majesties and marvelous things that the Lord has done for us is that He has, through 40 different authors, over, what, uh, 1,300 years, given us these 66 books that we call the book, or sometimes called the Bible, sometimes called the Holy Bible, because this book is unlike any other book that has ever been written or ever will be written. And boy, right here at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, it makes it very clear. What we read in this book is God speaking. Is God speaking. Now, as I said, sometimes it's helpful to know who God used to bring this into existence and who it was written to. When you think about who wrote a particular letter, we have some striking examples. For example, 1 Peter. Here's the first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who were elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Or the book of James begins, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Or Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. How does the book of Hebrews begin? God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. So who wrote the book of Hebrews? The first verse doesn't tell us who the human author is, does it? It jumps right to the fact that it is God who has spoken. Now, when a book doesn't mention who uh, God used to bring the book into existence, sometimes you can find hints throughout the book. And uh, that's true with most of the Gospels. It's true with a lot of the Old Testament, as well as uh, some of the other New Testament letters. We won't spend our time reading through the whole book of Hebrews this morning. But if we did, we would find there's no clear statement in all of this book. There's a few hints, like chapter 2, verse 3, the end of the verse says, after it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Now, that's a hint that whoever God used to write this book was not someone who personally knew the Lord Jesus Christ and walked with him. He had heard it from those who did, and now he's passing it on. In the very last chapter, it mentions Timothy. Timothy was a common compatriot in the cause of Christ. And, um, and so, that doesn't really help us either, reading through the book on whom God used to, to give us this book. So, sometimes when you go to church history, uh, especially the early church fathers, to try to figure out Okay, who did God use to bring this book into existence? Well, Origen, a scholar who lived in 184 to 253, sums up the consensus of who wrote the book of Hebrews when he said this, who wrote the epistle is known to God alone. And it almost accentuates the point of the book of Hebrews the point in the first verse, God spoke. God has spoken. There's so much going on in, in the world today, in the Christian world today, of saying, well, you got to understand that Paul was this, and so you got to be careful how you take his words, or Peter was this. And you know what the book of Hebrews does? It takes all that out of the way. It just takes it all out of the way. There is no discussion. There's no person to try to filter this through. You just have to say, boy, the point of this book is that God has spoken. God has spoken. And we're going to see it over and over and over and over again as we go through this book. Now, who was it written to? We don't catch any hints of that either from the, from the first verse there as we do in some of those other examples that, that we looked at. But the title of this book goes back to the very first manuscripts. It is called The Letter to the Hebrews. And so we can be fairly certain that that was who it was written to. Now, who are the Hebrews? Abraham is called a Hebrew in Genesis 14. Hebrew literally means from another place. 
And you'll remember that Abraham was called from his place of living where he grew up to the place of Israel. And that becomes a name that describes the, the Jewish people, what we would know as the Jewish people. And so this book is written to the Jewish people. Now, more specifically, as we look at the book, we know that they are Jewish people who knew the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, the Old Testament is quoted through and through and through. They were obviously Jews who had put their faith in Christ as their Messiah, but some of them were getting tempted to drift away from Christ back into their Judaism, back into their temple worship, back into their sacrifices, back into their Jewish cultural things. And so this book is written to them to say, no, no. Jesus is better than any prophet you've ever had. He's better than the angels that you've heard from. He's better than the priest. He's better than the sacrificial systems. He's better than the temple. There is no comparison. Do not leave Christ. And there's some very strong warnings because if you leave Christ, you do it to your own detriment. And so the point of this book is really the last part of the verse that I read. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We do not want to neglect the great salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. And so God has spoken. Let's turn our attention to the first verse and a half there. And let me put them up here on the PowerPoint in two of the pretty common translations. And you'll see that the translations are somewhat different in the way they capture this. The New American Standard that I read begins with the word God. The ESV actually follows the actual language in the Greek uh, more specifically. But you'll remember your English grammar, right? And you'll remember that the subject of the sentence is who it's about, and the verb is telling what the subject is doing, and there's the point of it. It doesn't make any difference what translation you use. The point is, it's all about God and that He has spoken. God has spoken. He has spoken. Now, in this first verse and a half, it makes a contrast Certainly, God has spoken, but it, it says He has spoken in different ways. And there's a contrast and comparison that goes on. In, in these verses, there's a contrast between the way He spoke in the prophets and the way He has spoken in Christ Jesus. And some of that has to do with the timing of when He has spoken. In other words, He spoke in the prophets long ago in many portions and in many ways. And then he sums it all up by saying, but now in these last days, he has spoken in Christ. Now, what is the time sequencing here? Well, it may be helpful to look at a little bit of a timeline. Whoops, it helps if I go forward and not backwards. Um, oh, there's Leon Mose. Oh, I'll skip that this morning. Um, but here's a little bit of a timeline. We have Jesus' early life and... Um, and so in here, now this is not to scale, obviously, because this is 33 years, this is a few thousand years, okay? And then we have the return of Jesus one day. Now the rabbis broke history down into two segments, and you remember this is written to the Hebrews. The rabbis broke 
the world into this age or this world and the age or the world to come, and they centered it all around the coming of the Messiah to establish his kingdom. Now, that they misinterpreted and misunderstood, but the last days then uh, refer to the end of this age, specifically beginning with the incarnation of Christ, his earthly life, his crucifixion, resurrection, his ascension, and these last days will come to a conclusion when Jesus returns to the earth and when he will make everything right. And what does the writer say here? It says that God spoke long ago in times past, in other words, before the last days, in the Old Testament, before the incarnation of Christ, he spoke to our fathers, that's just a general term of the leaders of the people of Israel, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways. Prophets were the ones that were called by God to be the mouthpiece of God. And he spoke many portions and in many, many ways. Let me just list some of the variety of ways and some of the portions in which God spoke just to kind of get your mind going and thinking about this, and you can take it to a thousand other examples. God spoke to Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, Genesis 3.8. God spoke directly to Cain, Noah, Moses on Mount Sinai, Moses in the tent of meeting, Samuel as a boy, spoke directly to Job, he spoke directly to many, many other people. He also spoke through dreams and visions. He spoke to Jacob as he was fleeing for his life by giving him that dream of angels ascending and descending on the ladder. He spoke to Joseph in a dream, watching his family bow down before him. He spoke to Daniel about a ram and a goat, about the Medo-Persian Empire and the Greek Empire, and then the beast with its horns. He gave Isaiah visions. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He often spoke by asking his prophets to act out dramas as he did through Jeremiah. Lay on this one side, now lay on the other side. Build a model of Jerusalem. Hack it up. He used common daily living experiences to teach. Go down to the potter's house, Jeremiah. Watch that potter build that pot. Am I not the potter, and is Israel not the clay? I will mold and make Israel into what I want her to be. He spoke through a burning bush to Moses. He spoke in a still small voice to Elijah. He spoke to the pagan prophet Balaam by causing a donkey to talk. He spoke through a pretty difficult experience in a fish to Jonah. He spoke to the king of Babylon through three young men in a fiery furnace by joining them there. He spoke through clear proclamations, thus saith the Lord whether it was in the Garden of Eden to Adam, whether it was through Pharaoh to Moses in Egypt, whether it was through the prophets, prophet John, the last one, make way the street of the Lord. 
straight the way of the Lord. You get the point, right? I mean, and, and again, we could add thousands to what I've just mentioned and, and fill in in many portions and in many ways. God has spoken in the Old Testament and in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. So what are, what are the main points here? Uh, I put two of them. I actually, there's three on your notes, and since we printed it Thursday, I changed it to two. That's always a good move, by the way. It's always a good move. One of, one of the things we see by this is that the nature and the heart of God in relationship with His people is that He speaks often. He speaks in various ways. God wants us to know. God wants His people to know. Yes, know Him, but know all kinds of things. One of the great accusations of God is that He doesn't speak. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God speaks. I mean, just think about the variety of ways that he spoke through the prophets. I mean, you well know if you really want someone to get a message, you'll use all kinds of different means to get the message through, right? I mean, God has used thousands of ways to get the message through. What do we know about the heart of God? He wants us to know. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know many things beyond just him. And you need to know that about the heart of God, and that is made so clear here. The second thing is, is that His speaking to us in His Son is an infinite upgrade to His speaking through the prophets, and He's going to go on through the rest of the book of Hebrews and say, it's an infinite upgrade from the angels, an infinite upgrade from the priests, it's an infinite upgrade from the temple worship, it's an infinite upgrade. We're not talking about going from 1.1 version version 1.1 to 1.2. We're not even talking about going from version 1.0 to 10.0. We're talking about going from 1.0 to infinite O. I mean, this is an infinite upgrade in the communication when He spoke to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the point? Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Listen to all scriptures that proclaim him. The reality is all the prophets were proclaiming him anyway. All the angels are proclaiming him anyway. The whole sacrificial system was proclaiming him. The temple worship was proclaiming him. Don't get caught up in them and miss Jesus. And so God has spoken so clearly to us in the Lord Jesus Let's go back to an experience that three of the followers of Jesus, three of the apostles had with him where, where God the Father makes this very clear to them. Go over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter Sounds good to hear the pages rustling. Can't hear the screen moving. <laughs> and I'll wait till you get there. Mark chapter 9. 
Let's begin in verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, probably the two greatest prophets in the Old Testament seen as representative of all the prophets. And they were talking with Jesus. This account in Luke tells us they were talking about Jesus' upcoming crucifixion and how he would depart this world. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. Now, Peter was totally freaked out as it would anyone have been. But what comes out of our mouths always reveals our belief system. And what Peter says here is, let's make a tent for Moses, let's make a tent for Elijah, let's make a tent for Jesus, reveals that Peter saw them all three as equals. He saw them all three as equals. I mean, he'd grown up and lived listening and revering those two great prophets. He'd been living with Jesus, and he saw them as equal, deserving equal honor, equal care, if you will. And God the Father would have none of that. He broke through from heaven, and he said, listen to me. Don't you listen to Moses and Elijah and Jesus as equals. Jesus is my beloved son. You listen to him. And then he made it so they could listen to nobody else but him. Elijah and Moses are gone. And Jesus is the only one there. That's the point. God has spoken in Christ. He has spoken finally and fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. John, who was there on the mountain on this day, John, who stuck with Jesus through the trials, through the crucifixion, spent the 40 days with Jesus after the resurrection. God called John to write an account of Jesus' life. When John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, began that gospel. How did he begin the gospel? In the beginning was the Word. What does Word? Why Word? Because Word communicates. Word speaks. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God has spoken, and one of the names for Jesus is He's the Word. He's the communication from God, and we beheld His glory, 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of faith, full of grace and truth. God has spoken. And He has spoken most clearly and most completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is probably the single most important statement that could have been made in the first century and can be made today. It's one of the great benefits that we have as people that God has spoken. Most especially that He has spoken to us in Christ. In the day that this book was written, the book of Hebrews was written, it, it was a very multicultural, it was a, a culture with all kinds of different philosophies, all kinds of re- different religious beliefs, and, and God interrupted all of that to say, I have spoken, listen to me. In our day and age, according to one survey, 70% of Americans insist that there are no absolutes whether in matters of truth, morality, or even identity. And boy, we continue to see the outworking of that in all kinds of ways. One of the consequences of there being no truth is that it brings a society to a place where everybody does what is right in their own eyes, and that just causes a whole bunch of collisions, a whole bunch of hurt, and ultimately hopelessness. It's no accident that suicide is on such a rapid rise. I remember apologist Ravi Zacharias, who grew up as a Hindu in India, and many people believe that in Hinduism you can have two competing truths and you can hold the both of them at the same time, that both and can be true rather than either or. And he said, well, even in India, when we get ready to cross the street, we look both ways. Because it is either the bus and Ravi Zacharias. It is either the bus or Ravi Zacharias. It's never the bus and Ravi Zacharias. If I get to the same place the bus is, one of us is going to win. And that's the way it is. And thankfully, God has spoken. It's one of the most great blessings that we have today. And thankfully, He has spoken to us, and He has made it clear what? Listen to Jesus. Listen to all the Scriptures that speak of who He is. So, what's the application to us? Well, just as it was to the Jews of that day, if you have embraced Him and if you know Him, do not drift. Do not allow any philosophy, do not allow any belief system that would contradict what God in His Word has said have any place in your heart or mind or life. Drift happens slowly, but it's deadly. And so this morning I ask you, is there some place where you're beginning to believe or embrace something different than what God has said. And if there is, I beg you, just say to yourself, God has spoken. I will listen to Him. Let's pray.
We thank you that you're a God who has made yourself known. We thank you that you have revealed to us everything that we need to know for life and godliness. And Father, we also recognize, as the hymn writer said so well, our, prone, our hearts are so prone to wander. Our minds are easy to drift and to minimize what you said and to maximize what some philosophy, some person, some belief system says that's contradictory. And so this morning, Lord, we choose to say, God, you have spoken. That settles it. We bless you for the clarity of your speaking and for the gift of your word, the Lord Jesus Christ and the written word. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.